be getting up off our backsides and doing something to make the world a better place. But the question then has to be, why should I do that? Because I've already been told, as long as I get down on my knees and confess my sins, everything's gonna be fine. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with the subject. Now, as you know, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Paul Blake. Paul is one of the most interesting people I know, and he just so happens to be my boss. We have a great discussion about atheism, morality, and what humanity already has within it and does not need from religion. It's a fascinating conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joey. It's nice to be here. I'm really glad that we got to have this conversation. It's been one that I've wanted to have for a long time. Okay. So before we dive into it, I'm pretty familiar with who you are, even though even today at lunch, uh, I'm finding out new facets of who you are and your uh, and your story. But give our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you are, and some of the work you do. Sure. Um, well, I'm Paul. I uh, where I am is I'm here in in New Jersey. I'm originally not from New Jersey, as I'm sure your listeners can tell from my outrageous accent. I was uh, born and brought up in the south of England, and I moved to the United States uh, in 2015. Um, for the job that I'm still in, um, working for the company uh, back in the UK since 2012, and I'm nearly a decade later still in the same job. I um, work in marketing. I am responsible for marketing some interesting technology products to interesting companies, um, and I think that's probably the least interesting thing that I do. <laughs> Knowing you, yes, it is. It's the least interesting thing. Um, well, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, today on the show, we are discussing worldview, uh, where it comes from, and some of the motivation behind that. Uh, obviously, some of your experience we're going to get into, but you and I have chatted a couple times, uh, maybe not as in-depth as we're about to get into, but uh, you are an atheist. I am. I describe myself as a militant atheist, All no, right. no, no less. Perfect. Um. So for, <laughs> for the sake of this conversation, what does that mean for you? When we say the word atheist, what, is, what does that mean, and how is that defined? Yeah, I mean... It, <laughs> It's a very personal thing, you know, definition, and it's a it's a very easy thing to bucket everybody um, in the same way. Um, but for me, it's the fact, you know, atheism is just a, an inevitable result of not seeing any reason to be anything else. You know, I there, there is nothing that has led me to suspect that there is a man behind the curtain. Um, that there is anything other than, uh, let, 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 let me put it in another way. <laughs> the, the way in which you build a world model, you know, a description of, of how the universe works, you know, what, what the, the motivations are behind how things operate and behave, to my mind has to be based on the ability to predict 
an outcome from a certain set of circumstances. You know, if I take my phone off the table and let go, it's going to fall to the floor. Sure. And, you know, it, it's, it's a predictable model. And so having the power to be able to make a prediction, to make a, a statement that is, you know, that A plus B equals C, that if I do this, then there is going to be a certain outcome. That has to be a measure of whether your model is correct or not. And more specifically, if what you see in the world does directly conflict with the model that you have, then that model can't be right. Now, for inspiration for that, I, I go to one of my greatest heroes, which is the physicist Richard Feynman. And in a series of lectures, which he called the, uh, the character of physical law, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he basically said, if you want to work out how the world works, the first thing you do is make a guess. And his audience would always laugh. And he said, no, no, don't laugh. That really is it. You start off any hypothesis, any idea as to how the world works starts with a guess. Sure. And then the next thing you need to do is to compute the consequences of that guess. What does it actually mean that the world should look like, how the world should behave if your guess is right? And then you test the result of those computed consequences against observation. You look to nature, you look to the way that the world works, you do experiments, or you just look at observable data. And this is the kicker. He said, if your the results of your observations disagree, disagree with your hypothesis, then you're wrong. Hmm. It doesn't matter who you are, what your name is, what your credentials are. It doesn't matter how beautiful your guess is or how satisfying it might be. If it disagrees with nature, it's wrong. And, he, and Feynman said, in that sentence is the answer to science. You know, if the, if the observable world disagrees with your model of it, your model is wrong. And there's nothing you can do about that. And this is why... In, when you look at scientific papers when they're published, they do not contain the credentials of the names of the people publishing, mm. right? Because the, that seniority, that rank, that position is of no value. It's the only thing that is of value is the data and the inferences that you can draw from that data. So, you know, that, that is what I believe a rational approach to looking at the world means. Now, that is not to say that you can rule out any possibility because you can make that guess. You can make the guess look like anything anything you wish. Right. You know, the philosopher Bertrand Russell said, you know, um, I, I could contend that there is a small China teapot in orbit around the sun somewhere between the orbits of Earth and Mars, and it's too small to be observed by any telescope. You can't prove that that isn't true. But of course, there is no data to prove that it is. So you can discard that hypothesis as having any basis in reality until you're convinced otherwise. Mm. So when I look at contending models for how the world might work and how the universe is put together, I can't accept as having any observable truth anything that doesn't have some kind of data to back it up. Now, does that mean that those things are intrinsically wrong? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that they actually form no part of any system where you can predict what's going to go on. Now, you could say that back in the, you know, in the pre-industrial age, it didn't really matter that much because there were many places for the angels to hide, okay. so to speak. You know, you can attribute all sorts of different um, uh, physical 
um, events, all sorts of different happenings in the world. You can attribute them to different uh, supernatural forces, different uh, motivations, different spirits or whatever could be responsible for things. But the closer and closer we look, using the techniques we have at our availability, we see no sign of them. You know, there are fundamentally two physical theories that can explain, I suppose, for want of a better word, can account for, can allow you to predict, this is the most important thing, allow you to predict outcomes with greater precision than anything else. And one of them is called quantum mechanics and the other one is called general relativity. And using those two things, and, and, and they don't overlap. That, that's the biggest problem for science right mm -hmm. now, is how do you unify quantum mechanics and general relativity? But with that aside, you can predict the behavior of any physical system that you can think of using those two things. It is so accurate that without it, without an understanding of both quantum mechanics and general relativity, GPS would not work. Okay. And right down at that infinitesimally tiny level there is no place for supernatural involvement however hard you pray however hard you hope however hard you want to change things you cannot affect the behavior of something like gps mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem to me to be rational to expect therefore that those notions, those ideas have any role to play in how anything else is wired up in our world and how, it, how anything else actually works. So that's, that's one aspect of, of, of my atheism, which is that I don't see it necessary to invent um, rules, uh, mechanisms, modes of operation, personalities, things that, that, that have impact on the physical world when there is no evidence for them and all the evidence suggests that there that there isn't anything that we're missing. Mm. The other thing, of course, is to look at the uh, the moral aspects, because one criticism that is often leveled against people like myself, and you know, and people who don't have a, a theistic part of their um, worldview, is that we're amoral, right, in, incapable of of moral rectitude, incapable of, of empathy even. And, you know, m the, the reason I describe myself right in the get-go uh, get as a militant atheist is because my response to that criticism, criticism is quite vociferous and quite colorful. Mm -hmm. I get quite annoyed, if you like, sure. when people, you know, say, you know, how do you have a moral center by not being a Christian? And I think, well, you, you know, because those parts of the human personality, altruism, cooperation, caring, nurturing, predate the modern religions and possibly predate religion in, in, its, in any way in which you describe. Mm -hmm. Now I can, you know, we can come on to talk about the origin of, of religion and, and what it means from an evolutionary perspective as humans. And, you know, I'd like to have that discussion with you. But in terms of saying that um, atheism somehow is contrary to having a, a moral center, I think is, is both insulting, uh, but not, not just to me personally, it's insulting to the human condition because it is something that is actually um, uh, not necessarily innate on a genetic perspective, but it's a very human thing to do, to cooperate with your friends. We are, we are very tribal, so we also see very easily see enemies.
and that is something that is equally applicable to anybody irrespective of their belief system. Mm -hmm. We see friends and enemies in, in equal measure. And so at the, our moral makeup, our um, behavioral and, and social um, structures are independent of any kind of supernatural belief system. And so it is perfectly possible and evidently possible from those people that I know to have no religious belief and yet to have a very moral center. So let me unpack that just a little bit. Maybe, and I don't want to put words in anyone else's mouth, but do you feel that that response that, you know, how can you have a moral center without having some theistic approach to spirituality? Do you think that that comes from looking around at the world that's sort of imploding on itself and you don't see things like care and love and uh, respect for each other as predominant as you would selfishness and greed and, and corruption? Do you think that that's where that comes from? Um, Although I would agree with you, it's a naive approach. I mean, the, the, the problem is, that as a species, we are extraordinarily, um, uh, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sort of psychological dilemma that we face, which is that how can we be nice to one group of people because that's us and be horrible to another group of people because that's them? Right. And I think there is something very, very deep and genetic and evolutionary about that approach, you know, because you see it happen in other species entirely. You know, mm -hmm. the, and the them and us is a function or a factor in everything we see around our society. You know, um, uh, tribalism in, in, in literal truth, but also in, in social truth, you know, in terms of sports uh, and music genres sure. and companies and all of those things that we're familiar with. They are, they're imprinted on us, you know, the, the them and us division. And, and I think that that is therefore not only something that isn't isn't in the purview of of religion to to, to you know solely to speak about, but is something that is independent of any kind of religious faith. In that, clearly, um, horrible atrocities have been meted out in the in the name of of various gods sure. and, o, o, over the years, and so it's independent of your mode of faith as to whether or not you can be somebody who is cooperative and believes in an us model of the world or somebody who isn't and believes in a them model of the world. So mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's independent. I'm, I'm often reminded of, I went to a very traditional uh, boys only school in, in England and we had a school chaplain and I remember him saying on a number of occasions, he was a lovely guy, you know, re really, really nice guy. But on, on a number of occasions he would say, Boys, the only thing that you need to believe to be a Christian is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that said to me a couple of different things. Even at the time, you know, in, in my sort of early teens, I remember thinking at the time that, that that conveyed with it a couple of different messages. The first of which was, if you can believe that, you can believe anything. Hmm. All bets are off. You can believe in all the other miracles. You can believe in all the other rigmarole that goes around with it. Because if you can believe that one thing, the one thing which is eminently impossible, if you can believe that, then everything else is 
is, right. is, is free is free water know. to wine yeah, yeah, yeah. you know people yeah. walking all, all of that. that that's that's all easy sure. right you know we make water to water to wine every day of the week right right you know that's it's called brewing you know yeah. but but, <laughs> but irrespective of that you know once once you get to that level of of um acceptance of of the irrational then everything else bets are off but the other thing it also said to me which is a more subtle nuance in that meaning i think is that as long as you believe that part of the dogma, that part of the credo, you don't actually have to believe any of the rest. Hmm. You know, it's a, it's almost a reverse interpretation. Sure. One is you, you, you can believe all of it because you believe that thing, but actually but if, if you only believe that, you don't have to do all the rest of the things to be a Christian, which was actually what I think he was saying at the time, is you don't have to do the liturgy. You don't have to participate. You don't have to, you know, as long as you have that thing. And the the problem that I that I have with that is it also means you don't have to have the moral responsibility either, hmm. as long as you believe that bit. And I think there is a huge gulf. Uh, I I see in the world a huge gulf between my moral position in the world as a, as a as a as a human being who wants the world to be a better place, and the behaviour of people who say that they are simply by virtue of the fact that they hold that little piece of a belief system in their minds. Hmm. I used to live in a very small rural village in, in England, um, a very traditional, the kind of stuff you see in period dramas and whatever, sure. a village of 90 people with a church and a pub and, you know, uh, uh, and whatever, and, and surrounded by farms. And one of the elderly farmers said to me one day, as part of a bigger conversation, he said, you want to find a Christian in this village, boy, don't go anywhere near that church. And what he, what he was meaning was that the, the people who were the, the movers and shakers in, in church life were the least charitable, the least hospitable, the, the ones who gossiped about each other and stabbed each other in the back. And the people who you could really rely on in a crisis were not the people who you would see in the church on a Sunday morning. Mm. Now that to me speaks volumes in terms of the the role that religion has to play in society and the role that it shouldn't play. You know, so I've given you an awful lot of different angles on on my atheism. There, uh, my militant atheism comes from the fact that um, whilst I absolutely respect people's right to believe what they want. Um, I may completely disagree with it, and I may find logical arguments to 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 wage against it. But the truth is, you cannot use reason to argue somebody from a point of unreason. Sure, it, it's a, it's a point it's a pointless exercise. Where I really get upset and, and militant about it is when it starts to play a role in policy hmm. and in law. You know, because it it is it is so anathema to me as a as a system for how you should do things. Sure. Just because it claims to have to the moral high ground, but as I, as I've already said, I fundamentally believe, fundamentally believe that the moral high ground is held by human beings who have come to that realization um, that 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 is that is the best way to make a society, the best way to make the world better, is to be a nice person. Hmm. You know, as the Dalai Lama said, you know, be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. Right. Let me let me unpack something that you had mentioned that you find, or at least in that in that uh, interaction with the 
the farmer that if you want to find a good Christian person, stay away from the church. That has also been my experience. I have I have had more profound conversations and and meaningful interactions with people who don't profess Christianity for for sake of this argument or preferred religion uh, than those who do. In your experience, which I don't hold you a prof- professional in anything other than your own experience. Why do you think people are drawn to church? Well, this this is um, uh, this is something that I, I, I think about a lot um, because it's not a question in my mind. Hmm. I think I know the answer to that. The okay. problem is the answer is so contentious and so offensive okay. to to, um, to 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 churchgoers that that, that I, I'm often reticent to say it. You know, on occasion, I've come right out and say it said it. And uh, and caused huge upset, <laughs> but let me let me try and be less uh, less less direct than I would normally, and 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 you know, try and soften the blow a little bit. Sure. Um, I spoke a, a few minutes ago about you know the the uh, the value of science in in you know in the world and the fact that the all of the technology, all everything that we we do, every every way that we work today is based on a, a, a series of actions and discoveries and an unraveling of how the physical universe works, and so that we can do it, do what we want to do predictively. We you know we know that if we do a certain thing using these rules that we have discovered as the the, the laws of physics, that that we can predict the outcome with absolute certainty. It is, it would be delusional to suppose that if there were a reset to the human race, that given enough time, we wouldn't come back to the same set of rules because okay. they are they are logically consistent. They are observably consistent you know there there are things like you know newton's laws of motion you know f equals ma force equals mass times acceleration in in a future in a thousand years time should there be a should there be something massively terrible that befalls the earth we lose all of our knowledge we lose all of that information and we were to reset and come back from the stone age eventually somebody would discover that relationship Mm -hmm. between how things move and their mass and the degree of acceleration and and, and all those kind of things the the laws of physics as we understand them today are therefore innate in the in the world that we see around us were that to happen that reset to happen Human beings would not come back with Christianity. We're all records to be wiped out. They wouldn't come back with Christianity. They wouldn't come back with Islam, Buddhism. They might come back with something else. They probably would come back with something else. And I'd like to come on and talk about why I think that is that is so. Mm-hmm. That religion w- would emerge, you know, independently. But if you were to beam somebody down or grow somebody in a vat up to a to to, to be a rational human being. With you know, without any kind of preconditioning from from the social background, sure. they would eventually come to the conclusion that these things are observably true, and these things are pure speculation, and and in, 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 into those two camps. Now you know, uh, Ricky Gervais. You know, he, he, you told me the story about mm-hmm. you know um, he was talking with somebody who was. Uh, 
who was a Catholic, you know, he said, and Ricky Gervais says, you know, I'm an atheist. You know, you don't believe in any of the other gods. I just don't believe in one more than you. Right. Right. And that is that is very much how I see it, is that the only reason that people have religion at all, or any reason people have a particular religion at all, is because somebody else told them about it. And the reason that I said that this is an offensive point of view is because my particular um, uh, considered opinion mm -hmm. is that is that if people tell you before a certain age, that is where you get it from. Mm. And I find that to be, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I find that to be borderline child abuse. Mm. To instill a belief system that is not grounded on any kind of reason, observable reality, as being the one most important thing that you should hold true, I think is terribly disruptive of the, in the formation of, of, of a right-thinking person. Hmm. Now, I am not an atheist because I have been somebody, you know, I'm not an apostate. I'm not somebody who has, has said, this is all nonsense, I'm leaving this church. Right. I'm an atheist because I was never taught to believe in things. I was never told not to believe in things, sure. but I was never imprinted with those things from an early age. And therefore, I have nothing to discard. I like to think my, think of myself as being open-minded. As a teenager, I was fascinated with the occult. Hmm. Now, some of your listeners may be, yeah, of course he was. He's an atheist. He's, you know, Satan is there. You know, uh, I, I was fascinated with it. And I, and I have discarded it all as being just as fanciful and as made up and nonsensical hmm. as any other system of, of, you know, again, you, you know, it supposedly has predictive powers or, um, you know, uh, uh, clairvoyance and psychics and all that kind of stuff, being able to uh, predict the future and, uh, and whatever. There is nothing at all that I see in the way in which the world seems to work that, that makes that possible, that makes that mechanism uh, in, in any way possible. So it is, it's my firmly held view that religion is something that is very human, is, is very uh, innate to our human um, psyche, to our, you know, to our societal makeup. And, and, you know, and I'll talk about that in a bit, if you like. Um, but a specific religion, a specific set of dogma, a specific scripture or whatever, is entirely fabricated um, in, in terms of being uh, a, a basis for how the world works. Not entirely fabricated in a, in a, um, in a historic sense, you know, because, you, again, you might find this odd from, a, from an atheist, but I have read the Bible, I've read all of it, mm -hmm. and I've read a lot of books about it, and I've read about the historicity of the Bible texts and, and, uh, you know, and the origin of of the various sects that uh, whose works have become uh, become collected to become you know the King James Bible and sure. and I know about the apocrypha and I've uh, you know read a, a lot of material about this and it, and it isn't so much about you know know your enemy because mm -hmm. that isn't my isn't my um, my angle on that I'm I'm genuinely fascinated by uh, by the ancient world particularly in the Middle East um, and and so. I can absolutely see the historical context for these things, but I do not make the connection 
that a, an interpretation from 2000 years ago of how the world works has to persist to this day. Of course, the folks, you know, in, uh, in you know, 300 BC or 3000 BC, when there was an earthquake or when there was, um, you know, some kind of natural disaster, see that as being the judgment of God. I'm reading a book right now, in fact, hmm. which is about the origin of, uh, origin of the flood legends. Um, which is almost certainly a result of um, the uh, the Mediterranean breaking through what is now the Straits of Bosphorus in Turkey right. um, and flooding the the area that is now the Black Sea, which which had a very uh, fertile and you know large population living there, and they were flooded because the waters of the Mediterranean broke broke through and flooded a large valley, which became the uh, became the Black Sea, and almost certainly a band of people moved from that valley up across the mountains down into Mesopotamia and founded the first uh, agricultural civilizations in what became Babylon. And later that, you know, that became the origin of, uh, of the population that became the, uh, uh, the Exodus. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there, there, is, there is huge historical context there, but I don't see any, any need to imprint a... Uh, a prehistoric mindset onto the modern world. So with that in mind, with, with all that you've experienced and studied with historical texts, again, your own experience, your own perspective, who is the person of Jesus? I mean, I can't, I can't answer that. I have, I, you know, I have no data, but it certainly seems evident that um, there are um, that there are not necessarily contemporaneous texts, but certainly ancient texts which talk about a person in that role. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is that you can look at you can look at the um, the statements attributed to Jesus Christ. And in one of two ways, you can either look at the things that he says in the context of the modern world or in the context of the time in which they were said. And I much prefer to do the latter. Yeah. Because, you know, talking about delivering, um, delivering us, you know, into the kingdom of heaven against the, uh, you know, against the great evil or whatever. Yeah, I can't quote it literally because it's not fresh in my mind, you know. But, but if you think about it in terms of, you know, the... Uh, the Roman Empire occupying the the homeland of the of the Jews. It makes an awful lot more sense to be seen with it through a narrow lens than it is to refer to life in New Jersey in twenty twenty one. But it doesn't, as I said earlier, it doesn't for me mean that the that the moral teachings need to be discarded because they predate the actions and and events depicted within within those stories. Yeah, and you had mentioned that. I'd love to come back to it. So you had talked about how, for the sake of this conversation, morality predates religion. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are a collaborative species, as well as being quite violent and warlike with each sure. other. Um, we do best when a, a group of people hang out together. And one of the one of the arguments, actually, that not so much now because it's, su it's such a specious argument, but one of the arguments that used to be leveled against the idea of evolution is that, you know, you can't explain, or, or rather evolution through, um, through the mode of the, of the selfish gene model. Okay. 
um, cannot be cannot explain the evolution of altruism, the idea that that uh, you know somebody might die for their companions, or put themselves in harm way to protect harm's way to protect um, offspring that isn't theirs, mm -hmm. um, and it's a, that's a, a very simplistic way of looking at the world and looking at the, at the world of, of, of human behavior because actually in a social context altruism has an extraordinarily strong role to play because if you protect everybody and then everybody protects you you are much more likely genetically to prosper and survive so actually there is a very strong evolutionary bent towards altruism and towards uh, cooperation and, and collaboration and you don't the way in which that reflected in human behavior is through having having morals and and you know um you know not not queering your own pitch not not destroying your own home and and uh, uh and, and supporting those around you because it is a you know you would do better as a band you know if you think of human beings as as hunter gatherers in in the deep distant past we do better when we work together mm -hmm. because you you get a greater haul you get a you can hunt down more antelope, you can do what you need to do and, and survive better as a band. Now there seems to be a limit to the size in which that works. And you know, there are, there are certain uh, um, philosophies within the corporate workplace that you should make no organizational part of the, str of, of, of the, of the whole bigger than about 50 people. Mm -hmm. Because beyond that, they start to break down into tribes and sure. a number below 50 seem to work best together. There, there could well be very strongly hardwired behavioral patterns that mean that social cohesion works better in those, those smaller numbers. And we need to rely on other things to bring us together as larger groups, which is why sports seems to have such a massive role to play in the human condition and sports teams in particular. And people can recognize the us amongst the sea of them just by the, the colors of the shirt they wear and the, or the baseball cap they wear or the mm -hmm. logo that they have. Um, and it's that those kind of identities. So, you know the, the 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 moral nature of human beings is is entirely independent of the religious belief system, because you see it reflected in every society wherever you go around the world. You know, the, back in the uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, um, uh, at, at the tail end of the Cold War, there was a, a song uh, released by Sting, I believe, called Russians. And the, the, the chorus was, um, uh, you know, it, it was talking about all the, all the terrible things that apparently the Russians were going to do to, to us in the West. Um, but is this really true because the Russians love their children too? Hmm. And, you know, as, as does everybody. Um, and every society you look at, irrespective of their religion, they cooperate with each other. They, um, they, have, their, they have moral codes. There are, there are differences. And, there are, and some of those differences are things that certainly um, the Western press love to highlight as being, um, as being things that are wrong with other cultures, yeah. you know. And, uh, um, and I am the first to decry uh, the patriarchal, misogynistic aspects of certain religions in the world. 
but I don't level that accusation against Islam and not against Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, for pity's sake, you know, they, they're as bad as each other in that regard. Um, and so, again, those, those things are independent of the religion. You know, the, tend the tendency for, for societies to be male-centric and, and, and sexist and to, and to put down the weaker and, and the... Um, uh, and and the um, you know subgroups of society that don't fit into the into the into the mainstream is just something that's reflected everywhere. It's not something that is unique to Islam. It's not something that's unique to Judaism or to Christianity. It's something that you see everywhere. It's unique to humans. Hmm. And those are the things that we need to we need to address. And those are the behaviours that we need to address. And I think as soon as we can decouple that from from a, uh, some kind of spiritual belief system, the better, because we can see it for what it really is. So we had talked about analysis. We had talked about, um, for lack of a better word, proof, um, but, but evidence. Uh, you know, we look around and, and we, can, we can quantify certain things. As a self-proclaimed militant atheist, what role does faith play in your life in general, not necessarily as a spiritual component, but, you know, the, the ability to, to hope for things, you know, what, what role does that play in your life? I don't see hope and faith as being things that, that are in any way related. Okay. Um, and desire and, um, uh, wanting something to have a different outcome, uh, and, for want of a better word, I have no other word to throw into this, uh, praying for a different outcome, sure. you know, longing for a different outcome, I suppose, put it like that. Mm -hmm. These are very, very human things, and, and, and an atheist like myself is just as susceptible to anybody else. The difference is, the difference is that I do not expect that what I say, think, or feel has an outcome on, on what's going to happen. Does it mean I long for it any less? No, it doesn't. Does it mean I long for it any more? No, it doesn't. Does it mean I, I feel that um, I feel hopeless compared to somebody with religious faith because I know there is nobody listening? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I don't think I'm impoverished because I know there's nobody listening. I, th I think on the other, the other side of that coin is where the danger really lies. Hmm is that if you do believe there's somebody listening, you are less likely to do something about it yourself or less likely to hold responsible those who could do something for you. I mean, it does, again, part of my militance <laughs> is that when I, you know, you see some, some terrible event happening and, you know, people being dragged from the wreckage of a, of a building collapse or, you know, something awful. And then somebody in the comment section says, thanks to God for their safe deliverance. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to swear, but fuck, fuck that. Thank God. No, it wasn't God. It was the people who dug through all the, all the rocks and the rubble to pull them out. That's the responsibility for those people's deliverance. Hmm. And that's a, that's a kind of microcosm of, of the big problem, I think, with the, the religious interaction with the modern world, which is... If you're expecting a better thing to come, where is your responsibility for making it right now? 
And in this country where we are, in, in, in the United States, a huge problem with the inertia around doing something about climate change is the vast number of voters who firmly believe well, it doesn't matter anyway because it's all going to be over and we're all going to heaven. If you don't think that, then perhaps there is an opportunity to do something and make this world a better one. That's brilliant. And Paul, I've loved our conversation. As we as we bring it to a close, you know, there are still churches around. There are still organized religions. And, and as you said, people are free to do what they'd like. From your point of view and your experience, if the modern organized religious sphere, regardless of what it is, what flavor, if they were going to do something that actually benefited people socioeconomically, educationally, uh, in ways that were not repeating the sins of the past, so to speak, but actually, you know, took our conversation seriously, what do you think that that would be? It's really hard to say because, <laughs> because the fundamental ethos of so much of, of, you know, so many of these organizations, so to speak, that you talk of is that um, as long as you do these three things in this life, you're guaranteed of the next life and the rest of it can burn. You know, it's just to, to the point I, I, I just made. Right. How do you change the, you know, again, this is, this is decoupled from religion. This is the human being's unwillingness to change you know and and wanting to do things that are that are um take the easy path you know just just leave me alone to get on with my own thing i don't want to have to do anything other than what i'm already doing that's a very human thing that's not something to you know that is in, intrinsic with the religion but what the religion allows you to do is to do that with impunity to continue in that mode of of behavior whereas in fact we should we should be getting up off our backsides and doing something to make the world a better place. But the question then has to be, why should I do that? Because I've already been told as long as I get down on my knees and confess my sins, everything's going to be fine. So, so the, the, the imperative has to be for organized, for organized religion to change that dogma. And they can't. How can you change that dogma? Because that's what it's all about. The dogma in my mind should be, listen, your reward in heaven only happens as a result of your good works. And those good works are defined in a way that is good for everybody, not just good for you. Hmm. And that's, that's the thing that is fundamentally wrong because, you know, as, again, confess your sins and all bets are off. Everything's good. As long as you admit to it, it don't matter. Well, I'm sorry, but I just can't buy that. If that were the case, why would we have a justice system? Why do we just not rely on, on the confessional to, uh, to do with it for us? Because we know in our hearts that that's wrong, that it, it, it doesn't stop there. You know, and when we're looking at how the, 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 the situation that the world is in, on the one hand, you know, you have to be held accountable for, we all collectively have to be held accountable sure. for what is going on. But if there is a, uh, a huge chunk of society that not only thinks that it's not important because there's better things coming, but actually there, there is a number of people with a very strongly religious mindset 
who were thinking the quicker we accelerate the apocalypse, the better, the sooner we get into heaven. You know, how can you fight against that? How can you ask religions to restructure their messaging when at their core, the credo is something that is actually working against any kind of change or is actually working more to entrench that position because because then the rewards are better if you if you do so. So, you know, I do believe that people are free to have their own internal spiritual dialogue with the world. I don't personally agree that they have the right to say that my model is as good as yours. You know, you're okay, you're you're a scientist, you believe in quantum mechanics and general relativity. That's your opinion. I say, okay, well, you know, you can use you use your model to predict in the same degree. You, you, use, you use a faith-based model to build a GPS system, and then we can talk, mm. right? So the two things are not equivalent. But you're free, to, you're free to have that own spiritual dialogue, but do not let it determine policy. And make sure that it doesn't try to take the moral high ground and to, and to say that we are the only people who believe these, you know, can be in the right morally because we're the ones who are in this club. Mm. And so often you see, you know, over social media and, in, and just in the general public narrative, particularly in the West, people talking about, you know, the, uh, uh, the decay of society and, um, uh, and uh, the the things that they see, the, the, the moral failings that they see happening in the world, and therefore people, you know, people need to come back into the religion to get that back. Right. They really don't. Well, the failure is in teaching people how to be moral. Hmm. It's not failure in teaching them the, the dogma and the scripture and the, and the, and the rules of religion. It's a, failure, it's a failure in society to bring people up in the right way as moral beings. And I hope that I'm living proof that you can, you can be a, a very moral person who believes in, in doing things right about them, with their neighbors and with complete strangers in equal measure without having any hope of reward as a result of it. Yeah. You know, I'm not the way I am because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to get me into heaven. I'm the way I am because this is the only life I have and it's better for me if it's nice. Again, man, thank you again so much for your perspective. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Joey. That wraps up this episode of Dismantle Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us on all social media at DismantlePod or shoot us an email at DismantlePod at gmail.com. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change.